All right. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time and just the privilege and the honor to come and worship you and just to see your faithfulness, Lord, from week to week, from day to day, and we do not take it for granted how faithful you are to us. So we ask you now, Lord, that you will speak. Lord, we we thank you, Lord, for this word, and I thank you for even throughout the preparation, Lord, but this is your time, Holy Spirit, so I pray that you will use my tongue to speak to your people. I pray, Lord, that you will open the ears of your people and open the hearts to receive what it is you are saying, Lord, because it is only your word, it is only your word that we read and that we talk about that can really transform the way we think, transform the way we do things, Lord. So we thank you for what you're going to do in this message and in this service, and we just ask you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, just to um, recap a little bit of what we have been talking about, obviously, we've been speaking about Jesus the entire year, and it's just been incredible. We've been looking at what Jesus uh, and how Jesus handles life situations, really, and how we can apply what Jesus did uh, into our lives. And just in the last few weeks, um, Brahm has really been focusing on relationships, you know, and what that looks like in our lives and what it really looked like in Jesus's life, um, boundaries and relationships and reconciliation of relationships. So, and, and the way he defined relationships, um, which is a partnership in the pursuit of the purposes of God or of the will of God. And I think that's such an awesome definition because it removes, it, it doesn't remove our emotions from um, you know, having relationship with one another, but it shows us where we are to place our emotions because we're partners together, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a father, son, mother, daughter, and vice versa relationship. We're all pursuing the purpose of God. We're pursuing the will of God. So I actually want to focus a little bit more today on the will of God and what that looks like in our lives. Um, I was just talking before Brahm and I left. I was just talking with Brahm and Dave uh, this past week, and Brahm said something very interesting, which was how back then it was easy for them, for the people that Jesus walked with and spoke into and, and lived amongst, it was easy for them to see his humanity, you know. Um, it was it was a little bit difficult for them to receive his divinity, receive his lordship, because they didn't have what we have. They had him as the person. So physically, they could see him as human, and that was easy for them to relate to him. They talked, you know, they talked to him and spoke to him how he was, you know, the son of Mary and Joseph, and that's how they related to him. But to see him as Lord was quite difficult. However, we have the word of God. We have almost the overview of who Jesus is, and we can see how he was Lord. We can see how he is Lord. So we can easily grasp or a little bit more easily grasp his lordship. But I think when it comes to his humanity, we tend to struggle a little bit because we don't always really see Jesus as human, And even when it comes to Jesus, it's easy to mystify who he is and kind of push him a little bit away from us because 
he is the example to us. And the thing about him being the example, we have to relate to him from human to human. And when we see him as Lord, when we see him as God, it's easy to say, oh, he's God. He could do it because he was perfect. So therefore, if I do miss the mark or if I don't live up to this expectation, it's okay because Jesus, who was perfect, he was able to do it. And that's fine because it's, it's not about us being perfect. However, when Jesus gives the example, he gives the example from a human standpoint. It's his humanity that he's trying to get us to see how he did things and show us how we can do the same. So talking about relationships, talking about circumstances and how we face them, talking about loving people, talking about being kind no matter how they treat us, he's showing us from a humanity point of view. Amen? So we have to see Jesus the way the Bible sees Jesus. And that's what has been about this entire year. When we're Christians, we're, we're really starting to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. And as we do that, as we see him the way he is, we begin to see ourselves the way we should see ourselves. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going we're gonna to speak on the small passage, verse 7 through 10. Now, Hebrews, you see the supremacy of Christ. You see who God is. But as you read through Hebrews, you see how it is Jesus that is offered, and he is the sacrifice for us. But he had to do it as a human. He was only able to do it as God. He came as God. But there's no difference between his birth in our birth, the only difference is, is his conception. He was conceived from God, but he was born of a woman like we are. So it's really amazing how Jesus comes and he's human like us. And as you read Hebrews, you see the humanity. And, and the fact is that only as a human, the, the obligation on our end when it came to dying for us, when it came to shedding of the blood... It had to be another human. It couldn't have been someone who was just divine and didn't have that humanistic or humanity part of them. So when we see the blood being shed, it's not so much for us to see, oh, this is the divinity of God. No, it's actually the humanity that reconciles us back to God. So God is, or Jesus is God and human at the same time. Okay, that's all I'll spend there because that can just go really, really deep. Um, but it's just, it's quite, it's quite incredible the way God sets it up. But Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. So as we're reading this and, and as we're talking about this, just see the perspective from a human standpoint. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. So he's speaking to our father. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now, it doesn't say he was heard because he was Lord. It doesn't say he was heard because he was a son of God. He was heard because of his reverence. Therefore, that means we can be heard because of our reverence. Oh, uh, man. 
although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, listen to the verbiage, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So just to title the sermon so we stay within the context of what we're talking about today. The title of the message is Obedience is Better. And here we see being made, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So obedience is linked to suffering. So what did Jesus suffer? What was it that he suffered? What was, what was the, the pain that he experienced in him being obedient? Well, what he suffered was his separation from his father, from our father. Because Jesus, who knew no sin, took sin upon himself. So what he's crying about, what he's actually praying about, what he's talking about here is the fact that I'm getting ready to be separated from the only thing that I've ever known. All I've known is perfection. All I've known is a sinless life. But now I have to take on sin, which means I have to be separated from the one that I love. He, that, that's what he's suffering. So that's that's the problem right there. That's that's what he's having to get up for our give up for our sake. So there's suffering linked to obedience. He's being pulled away from our father so we can be brought closer or brought back into relationship with our father. That's what makes it a beautiful exchange. So when it comes to us all we've known is the flesh. All we've known is sin. Because we were born into sin, we were shaped into iniquity. We don't, we don't know what it feels like to not know sin. So in our understanding or in our experience of obedience, what suffers is we're being pulled away from the flesh to be brought back into the spirit with God. Oh. Feel the presence of God. I'm just going to try to contain myself. It's it's amazing because now we're being separated from the only thing that we know. So what is suffering when we are now choosing to be obedient? Well, there are many things that suffer, but the the one thing I want to focus on is pride. I want to focus on pride. Because we suffer when, when, when we're becoming obedient or when we're hearing what God is saying and we're choosing to do his will, it is our pride that we feel in the flesh. That when we're discarding that or pushing that aside, it, it's suffering. And we can all raise our hand, I'm sure, and admit we all have pride in some areas of our life. And the reason we know that is because we really feel it when we have to submit and obey. Is it just me or? Okay. All right. All right. So I'm, I'm in the right place when I'm talking to the right people. So let's, 
Let's really unpack this really quickly. Let's go to 1 Samuel, because I want to show you what it looks like when we actually have pride and carry it out instead of choosing to be obedient. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1 through 3, and I'll, I'll read it. We'll go to 1 through 3, and then we'll skip to verse 12 and read through verses 12 through 23. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 12 through 23. So Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy all that belongs to them. So what did he say? He told them to destroy everything, right? Do not spare them. Put death to men, or put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So there is nothing left that Samuel has not covered. Samuel has told Saul, I want you to destroy everything, and that includes this, 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 and there's nothing left over, right? You can talk back to me, right? All right. So if you skip down to the 12th verse, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Now that's Saul's response when he sees Samuel. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. Wow, really? I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. He's confused. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, 
and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So we see here in this passage, it's an amazing passage. I mean, I, I think I've, I've even preached from it before. And it's, it's pretty familiar. So we know what happens with Saul. And we understand that Samuel tells him to destroy everything, but Saul goes and does the opposite. He doesn't destroy everything. He keeps what he thinks is okay. So when Samuel confronts him and says, the Lord told you to do this, Saul's response is actually, well, I have done it. I've done what the Lord has told me to do. But it, it doesn't make sense. Because Samuel was pretty clear in destroying everything, and yet Saul has the king left over. He has the sheep, and there's different things he's picked out because he thinks it's okay. So why pride? Well, this is pride. Pride is actually based in what we think. It's our ideas that we think are better. Forget the instruction. Forget what we've been told. We go off of what we think. Samuel tells Saul what to do. He instructs him him on behalf of what the Lord has told him to do. And yet Saul does something completely different. Why? Because he thinks his idea is better. His agenda is different because it actually makes him look like the boss. It makes him look like the hero. And that's what pride does. It's amazing. Even when you read that, you can take it another way. You can say, well, maybe the Lord said to him, because I think even in our day, and maybe back then as well, we know that then we could see how in the Old Testament, it was the prophet that spoke on behalf of the Lord. So when the prophet came and gave you a word, he gave you a word on behalf of God, and that's what you listened to. But here, The problem is that Saul doesn't really want to listen to what Samuel is saying. So he's saying, ah, well, the Lord has spoken to me, and I have done what the Lord has told me to do. But why would the Lord tell you to do something different than what he's told Samuel? And the Lord, even in in that time, the Lord is actually not obligated to honor the voice of Saul. He's honoring Samuel the prophet. So what does pride do? Well, pride first, it brings confusion. Because here we are completely confused. Even reading it, you have to read it two, three, four times to try to get, okay, what's really happening here? Samuel says, I hear the sheep. You have the king. Why didn't you destroy everything? You were on a mission. This was not about you. This was about what God has set up. But Saul's response is, I've done what the Lord has told me. I am on a mission. I've completed the task. So there's so much confusion here. And that's what pride does. Pride makes it about us, and it brings complete confusion to the situation that we are actually meant to be doing it the way that God has told us to do it. Does that make sense? So it brings confusion. It causes us to lie. Because the part that I didn't read, I believe, is in the eighth verse, It is Saul and his soldiers that go and take the sheep and take the cattle and see what is beautiful and see what is good for sacrificing. But here, Saul completely lies 
to Samuel, and he actually tells him the soldiers are the one who took the sheep. They're the ones that did it. It's almost like he's putting the excuse and putting the reason behind what has happened on other people and not taking full responsibility. This is pride. Pride doesn't allow you to own up to what you have actually done because there's no repentance. There's no repentance. So pride makes it about us. It's our ideas. And it brings confusion. It it causes us to lie. And it stems rebellion in us. Because here, for rebellion, like like, uh, Samuel says, for rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. When we're prideful and when we act on it, it brings an arrogance. It brings an arrogant spirit. We start to see the people that we're actually supposed to be listening to and obeying, we start to see them in a condescending way. Because we start to think, oh, yeah, you're saying that, but I have something better. I I have a better thought. I have a better reasoning. My, My understanding and my explanation in my mind is a lot better than what you're saying. So arrogance finds its way right in there to the point that if, it's, if it can happen once, if we don't catch it, it continues to build up. And then the next thing you know, no one can tell us anything because we know everything. That's what pride does. Now, I know, like I said, you know, we can easily look at the Old Testament and say, well, Carvin, you're right. Yes, he should have listened to Samuel. Because Samuel spoke on the behalf of God. But now it's not like that. We don't have prophets that speak like that on behalf of God. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks to all of us. So I'm not obligated to listen to anyone that does not reflect the Holy Spirit. And none of us are the Holy Spirit. And if you tell me something that I need to listen to, guess what? I'm going to go back and check with the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit says, no, you don't have to listen to that, I'm going to say what the Holy Spirit says, and I'm going to obey that. Even if that means not obeying you. Hmm. We do this. You know, when it comes to our jobs... And the bosses tells us, because God, when you read Romans, you see in Romans, I believe it's the 12th chapter, I'm not sure, but you see how God has ordained all authority. He's ordained all government. That's why it is so important to pray for the people that are in authority, because they carry the authority. Whether it's legislative all the way down to, you know, the the. The, the boss that you work for, all the way down to, you know, anyone that you volunteer, any place that you volunteer at and you have to, you know, give accountability to the people that manage you, wherever the authority is, every single person in here somehow, some way, sits under someone's authority. So when it comes to our bosses in the marketplace or in the workplace, yeah, we might think we have good ideas. We might think we even have better ideas. But we have to be obedient. 
But, you know, in the, in the workplace, it's not really so hard to be obedient because that's who's paying you. So if you're not obedient, you just get fired. It's that simple, right? And, and we all want to get paid, right? Okay. Maybe, maybe all of us don't want to get paid, but... I mean, it's pretty simple. It's pretty self-explanatory. You know, even if I don't agree with you, I'm going to obey you because you pay my check. But when it comes to, you know, even parenting, even us as children growing up, we like to think we know more than our parents. So we get to that place where, oh, yeah, you're saying this, but I don't really agree. And since I see it my way, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what you call the teenage years, and I'm not there yet, so thank God. Keep praying for my kids. But I think the biggest issue we can see it is in our churches, in the body of Christ. Because when it comes to our senior pastors, when it comes to our senior leadership, we often think as people that come to the churches we go to and we submit ourselves under the covering we're under, when they who are senior pastors, ask us to do things, we often can get to a place where it's like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe I need to pray about it. Maybe I need to check with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's not in agreement with what I think should be happening. I don't think I need to be obedient to that. I don't think I really need to listen to that. As a matter of fact, I think my ideas are a little bit better than than yours. That's pride. Even if your ideas are better, guess what's better than that? Obedience. So we think it's the Old Testament, but let's see what Jesus does in the New Testament because, again, we're looking at it from a human standpoint. Jesus was divine. He is God. But he's also human. So he gives us the example of how to be obedient even in the moments where we don't really want to. And I'll just read it. Matthew 26, chapter 26, verse 39. Going a little farther. This is when he's with the few disciples and he goes out a little more because he's getting ready to be crucified. Going a little farther he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now we can just stop right there. He says, If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Whose idea is that? It's Jesus. We're seeing right now Jesus is giving his idea. If it is possible, let this cup pass. We know it's his idea because the next part of the the scripture says, yet not as I will. Wow. So this is his will. He's actually speaking from his point of view. Lord, Father, if we can just find another way. And get this off of me because the truth is I don't want to be separated from you. That's not a bad thing. That's actually really good. He actually hasn't dismissed 
the process of what needs to happen, but he's trying to give his idea because he thinks this might be something that we could look into. I'm going to present my will to you. It's powerful because this is Jesus' idea. But his response is not staying with us idea. His response is not, I'm going to stick with this. Father, I know you brought me here to do a certain work your way, but it's gotten really tough. And being human, I don't like the way this feels. So I'm going to step aside and say, you know what? Let me do this another way, and we'll just go from there. We'll just, we'll just go back to the drawing board. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, yet not as I will, but your will be done. That's what obedience looks like. It's not that we don't have a will. It's not that we don't have ideas. It's not that we don't have choices. But the choice we make has to be what has already been presented to us. Whether that looks like God showing us I want you to go here. I want you to do that. Whatever that looks like. Or just simple obedience. And that is saying, you know what? I don't agree with what you're saying, senior leader, but I'm going to submit. Because this is what you want. And the truth of the matter is, it's all about pursuing the purpose of God. So it is actually not about us. It's about what God is doing. So what does obedience do? It brings clarity. Pride brings confusion, but obedience brings clarity. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When he was obedient, when he submitted his will, he could see the joy that was set before him, which is what got him to endure the cross. There's clarity in being obedient. You may not understand everything in the beginning, but that's okay. If you choose to be obedient, the clear focus is like it starts to drop. It's like the pen starts to drop. It's like everything starts to open up. You start to see what God is doing. You're not doing it for that. You're doing it because you're obedient to his will. But you can see what is happening and, and, and what's actually taking place, that it is not about you. It is about the people that surrounds you. It is about your family. It is about the ones you've been praying for that you want to see salvation come into their lives. When you choose to be obedient to the will of God, guess what they see? They see God. Because you're submitting yourself. It's amazing. You can hear so many. It was one story that my, my dad was sharing with me as far as how this person went to witness or went to get some incredible examples of how this person who became a Christian and just these miraculous stories that was happening. He was in jail and he was throwing things over the wall to try to get someone to read a piece of paper that he needed a Bible. And, you know, his, his um, cellmate was laughing at him and beating him up and doing all these things. And then the next thing you know, uh, the security officer 
brought a package one day, and, and in the package, it was a Bible. And when the cellmate saw that, he just dropped to his knees and gave his life to Christ because it was just an incredible situation. It was like, it was unbelievable. So as they were talking about this, the person that was getting all, this, all of this information, he, they needed or she needed a translator. So the translator happened to be agnostic, didn't believe in God. So as, as now this is, you know, years later and, you know, the person obviously given this testimony is married, his wife is there and blah, blah, blah. Um, so as they leave them, the woman is speaking to the translator and she says, man, wasn't those stories amazing? It was incredible. It was unbelievable. And he asked, she asked the translator, didn't that move you? And she said, no. That didn't move me at all. But did you see the way that he treated his wife? Did you see the way that he honored his wife? Did you see the way that he was in submission with his wife? It, was, it wasn't the miraculous and the incredible stories that really changed the way she saw who the God he served was. It was the way in the natural of how he was submissive to his spouse. It's the natural things that we often look over and we look because being Christians, we think that all of the super incredible supernatural things of someone being raised from the dead or someone being healed, you know, is going to move the world in such an incredible way, which is true. It, it, it happens. But if we learn how to be Christians that are obedient to authority, if we learn how to be Christians who are submissive as husband and wife, a husband laying down his life for his wife, a wife being submissive to her husband, the way the scriptures explains how to do the things from a natural standpoint that are easy to understand, but the world doesn't get it because they don't understand how Jesus did it. If we can just live out what Jesus did and be obedient in, in the context of authority, we will see a lot of lives changed much quicker than what we do. But it's our pride that gets in the way. And if we don't think people notice, then we need to take another look at ourselves. Because everybody notices everything. People will often come up to you and say, man, I saw the way you handled that situation in your job. They were completely wrong, but you were obedient. That, that, what is it? I want what you have. It's amazing how we can change and see people's lives change just by being obedient. It brings clarity. It brings us to maturity. It causes us to mature because we're putting our ideas aside and we're saying, you know what? I may think something's better. I may have a better reason for that, but I'm going to do this. And if you're married, you definitely understand that because you may think, I have a better idea, but it's not about being right or wrong. It's actually about just submitting. You may be fully right, but you know what? Put it to the side. Because you're pursuing God together for the purpose and for his will to be done in your life. And it actually keeps the right perspective of that person. When you're obedient, you actually keep arrogance at bay. 
And when arrogance is not able to get in, you can actually see the people that you've submitted to in the area or in the level or at the office that they carry. You can see them in the right perspective. You can see them as God sees them. You know how to value people. You know how to value one another. Husbands, you know how to value your wives. Wives, you know how to value your husbands. Friendships, you know how to value each other because you're not letting your ideas get in the way of relationship. You're choosing to be obedient. Now, again, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, you know, as friends, we have to be obedient to one another. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about we are all under some authority in some way. And it's not just being obedient with the mind. It's actually being obedient with the heart. So when you get that, that moment and you feel like, oh, man, my idea is better than that then what you need to really say is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to push that aside. I'm just, I'm actually going to submit with my heart. And that's what Jesus did. And guess what? He became the source of salvation. So we learn how to surrender our will just as Jesus surrendered his. Remember, his His idea in that moment was asking the Father, if there's another way we can do this, let's do it. But not my will be done, Father. Your will be done. It feels, it's a suffering in it because what's happening is we're dying. We're dying to our flesh. And just as Jesus died, he is the example of how we die. Death, it's like death is the essence of obedience. When you learn what obedience really looks like and how it feels, there's suffering involved. And that is us dying to our own agendas, dying to our own ideas. That is us learning how to put pride aside. And when we do that, we actually learn what it looks like in our character. Our character begins to grow our character begins to develop. It begins to become more like Christ. And that is why he is the example. If I can get the musicians to come back up, I want to I read this last verse because Brahm says something really powerful last week at the end of his message. And he talked about how building on the rock, which is what we're doing, and how it's not, it's not easy. It can be quite hard because it takes patience. It takes submission. It takes commitment. It takes diligence. When you build on the sand, the sand is easy. It's convenient. It's comfortable. But when you build on the rock, you got you to gotta stay there. You know, it's not an overnight thing. It's not, being a Christian is not an overnight thing. It's not a trend. It's not something we can just claim as a word. It's what we actually, it's it's actually what we have to live up to 
as an example of a follower of Christ. And we can't use that and say, well, Jesus is God so he could do it. No, Jesus is also human so he could show us how to do it. That's the power. That's what we're learning how to do. And guess what? We're going to get it wrong. It's okay. And we're going to feel the suffering. That, that's, that's actually really good because that shows you I, got, I have some pride in this area because I actually don't want to do this. But yeah, not my will. Your will be done. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words, this is Jesus talking to the people about the very example that Brown mentioned last week. Whoever hears these words and puts them into practice, in other words, obeys them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not choose to obey them is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain, the streams, the winds, everything that happens, happens to both parties. Yet the one that builds his house on sand falls. It might be hard. But the practical component you have, the practical application you show, the way you know you are building on the rock of Christ, who is Christ, is obedience. Obey his words. Let's stand to our feet. As we sing a couple, this song, verse, and chorus a couple times, I want us to really think on how Jesus is speaking this message to us and and really allow the Holy Spirit to show you areas in your own lives, areas in your own heart of where you know you have been prideful there. And it's not just it's not just us having thoughts of pride because that hits all of us. And guess what? It will always do that because we're in the flesh. But it's our response. When you've had the thought, what has been the response? Let the Holy Spirit show you, yeah, you you may have done it the way that person wanted you to do it as the authority over you, but what was really your response even within your heart? You know, guys, we are ambassadors of Christ. The Bible says we are the ambassadors of Christ. So think of it like this, being an ambassador of Christ, you do realize that we have an opportunity every day to be the source of someone's salvation. People come to Christ because they see Christ in us. Jesus reveals himself to people because they see 
Jesus in us. We carry out what Jesus set the example for. So as Jesus became the source of salvation, meaning that all men must come to him to be saved, now we as ambassadors are that example so when they see us, they can go to him. Because when they ask, why do you do things so different? Why is it so easy for you to handle that situation? And you're in the middle of this, but you have peace. What is it about that? Because Jesus is my source. And when we're obedient, it's that much easier. Try telling someone about Jesus when all they see in us is pride exemplified. This is why the world is so confused because they don't understand what a Christian really looks like. They know the name. They understand the terminology, but it's a trend. Anyone can say it, but who's a disciple? Because they're suffering in that. But the glory is to give to God. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray the benediction. But before I pray the benediction, I just want to, you know, it's not even, if you want to come to the front, if you want prayer, even at the end, feel free. You know, I'll be up here. Some of the leaders will be up here. But all of us experience this in some way or another. So I want to pray for all of us that we really get an understanding and how important it is to really submit ourselves, not just to the voice of God, not just to the Holy Spirit. You know you're submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit when you can submit yourself to leadership. That's how you know. Because the purpose is for the will of God to be done. Not for our will, but his. So Father, I pray now your blessing on everyone. Lord, I pray that you will show us who we are. Because we're your children. We've given our lives to you. And I pray, Lord, that you show us what's in our hearts. Show us the very thing that's blocking us from even receiving clarity in areas that we need clarity in. If it's our pride that has brought confusion, if it's our pride that has caused us to be arrogant, if it's our pride that has kept us in a place of lacking maturity, Father, we ask you to forgive us. We repent. But Lord, to go further, we want to we do it your will. We want to do it your way. So show us, Holy Spirit, so that as we're obedient to you, we get clarity of purpose. We get clarity of focus. We mature in you. We begin to be that source that brings people into the knowledge of who you are. And just as Jesus prayed in the 17th chapter of John, that we will all unify so that we will, that the world will know you were sent, Jesus. And you came 
so that we will all be reconciled back to the Father. Challenge us, Holy Spirit. Not as those that would just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but actually those that will live being and having the honor and the privilege of carrying your name and being a disciple of you, Jesus. As we leave here, Father, I also pray the benediction. And as we gather, Lord, even afterwards having a cup of tea and fruit and biscuits, Lord, that we just have community together, Lord, I pray that everyone would just allow your grace to rest on us and your peace and your love. And we will walk out here different knowing that we have something that you've given us that will change us for the better because obedience is better. In Jesus' name, amen.